Thank you for tuning in to Lexington Road Ministries podcast. We're so thankful that you chose to stop by. We hope you enjoy today's message. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 14 through 20. We're going to get in the word. This morning, we're going to be talking about rebuilding the temple. Rebuilding the temple. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, starting with verse 14, it says, Likewise, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. God, don't ever let us get to that point to where we're so far that your cup of anger has to be poured out on us, God. Lord, help us to stop before that happens, Lord, and repent. My God. Verse 17 says, so the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women, the old and the infirm. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. Then his army burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons and to the king until the king of Persia came to power. When we read this, we often see this consecutive pattern of the Israelites disobeying God, and then they have to come to a stopping point of repentance. And we see that because of their sin, their whole sense of normalcy that they were living in came to an abrupt halt as they were taken away from their normal routine and they were led captive to Babylon. It was this order of disobedience leading to discipline. They had the opportunity to continue to worship God the way he ordained to be worshiped and they would have continued in the favor of the Lord over the nation. But verse 14 says, they followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated. And I understand that in reading this passage that that the, the Israelites had actually destroyed the temple spiritually before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it physically. They had destroyed the order of the temple that God had ordered. In other words, they perverted what God had purified. So for 70 years, they lived in captivity. And a little bit earlier in discussion with Brother Tim, he reminded me that one of the orders that God had commanded is that they let the land rest every seven years and they hadn't done that for a long time. And who's to say that that period of seven years, 70 years could have been 10 consecutive seven periods that they decided to not let the land rest because they wanted more and they wanted more. It tells me there's sometimes that we do have to rest in God. There is an order that God, when we want to go, sometimes God's saying, you stay and rest. We've got to do it God's way. So for 70 years, they lived in captivity all because of disobedience. But after every era of judgment or conviction, something always happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Ezra chapter one, verses one through two says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Verse five says, then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites with all whose spirits God had moved arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. I had them repeated earlier and I'm gonna have you repeat it. Say, there is a stirring. There is a stirring. It was a spirit of God that stirred the king to give favor to the people. And it was a spirit of God that stirred the leaders to get up off their tail and start doing what God wanted them to do. And if we don't have that stirring by the word of God, we will sit and we will be in judgment. We will be under conviction. We will be in captivity just like they were. God stir us up. I believe sometimes God allows calamity to happen to get our attention so that we can be stirred by the Holy Spirit to rebuild what the enemy has restored in our lives. Motivation to do good only comes by the stirring or convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Paul said, Timothy, stir up. I don't know what was going on in Timothy's life at that time, but it could have been a stagnant situation. Paul said, stir up. He said, man, I laid my hands on you and prayed for you and you received a gift of the spirit. Why are you sitting doing nothing? Stir up the gift that is inside of you. It's time that we become stirred. We all know what the power of God feels like or we wouldn't be here hungry for it. We're here at this church. We're a spirit-filled church because we know what it feels like to feel the spirit of God, to feel the power of God. God, that we would be stirred up in our lives to do what God has called us to do, amen? What stirred the king and the leaders of Israel? What was it that stirred them, that caused them to become stirred, to be motivated to build the, the temple back? <clears throat> I'm reminded of a passage of scripture in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is a passage that we often quote when trying to encourage ourselves that God is in our future and gonna bless us and prosper us in our future. But this is a prophetic promise that was given to the people of Israel and this was before, you know, if you look at the Bible and if you read, you know, in our Bible, Ezra comes before the book of Jeremiah. But chronologically, Jeremiah was written before Ezra. Say, God knows my future. He knew the future. He knew what was going to happen with, these, with the children of Israel. He knew they were going to fall, but he knew that he had grace for them. So God spoke through Jeremiah years before this even happened so that they would have a promise to stand on and be stirred to get up and move. This is what it says. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Verse 14 says, and I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. 
I thank God that in spite of the fact that sometimes God allows us because of our choices that we make, we face, we face discipline, but God is always there when we turn our hearts back to him, God is always there with grace to say, it's okay, I'm gonna take care of you. I just needed your attention. That's why I got your attention now. Turn to me. Let me stir you up. And the stirring begins with repentance. Say that. Stirring begins with repentance. It was God's promise to them that stirred them up. They realized what they had done. Their eyes were open. They were stirred and they turned their heart to God and they were stirred to get back in order to rebuild a place for God to dwell. It is time for us to be stirred and rebuild this place so that God can once again dwell within his people. Amen. But how in the world can we be stirred by the promises of God if we have forgotten what his promises are? If you forget and stop talking about and stop remembering how good God has been to you and how faithful he has been, all of what the word of God says, if you forget it and just think of it as irrelevant, you won't be stirred to move. Psalms 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The man of God was telling himself and encouraging himself Sometimes I need to look in the mirror at myself and say, Isaac, bless the Lord. Don't forget what God has done for you. We at times have to encourage ourselves in the Lord, remind ourselves it looks bad, but God has been good and he will continue to be good because he's the same then as he was now. Amen. Oh, that God would stir us up as we remember the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I don't want to wait till heaven to remember how good God has been. It's remembering what he's done is what's going to get me to that place one day. We can't stop and forget his goodness. We won't have a stirring. We will be stagnant. We will be lackadaisical. Well, we will make up excuses for why people's done this. I don't like how this is going. I don't like this said that. He said that. Well, forget about people and let's remember God. They might have done wrong, but God did you good. They might have forgot about you, but he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. There's times you got to not worry about people and just think about God. Who is God? A friend that sticks closer than a brother. Come on now. I can't stir you up for repentant change with, with a motivational speech. I can't do it. The only way we can be truly stirred to do the work of God that he has called us to do is when the truth of the word of God is brought forth. It isn't my words that stirs you. It isn't our words that stir each other. It is the word of God through us that stirs you. I can encourage you to just be a better person, but it's the word of God that encourages you, that stirs you to change. It gets in your heart. The Bible says it gets in the joints and the marrow of your bones so where you're miserable until you move in the place that God wants you to be. We have got to stop being comfortable and we need to start being miserable with the way we are in our lives. We need to be uncomfortable with the way we're living so that we can let God work and rebuild the temple in our heart so that he can do what he needs to do. There's no way to have true joy without letting God come in and cut us with the repentant heart that we can become open and let him move, let him change. The Bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus. We can't, we can't, can't go about it any other way. Somebody say unity. 
it took a time of unity for these people to come back together after they had been separated. But when God spoke to the king to let the people go and rebuild, they didn't all leave at the same time. There were three separate groups of Israelites that returned three separate times. One led by Zerubbabel, one by Ezra, and one by Nehemiah. Three total different times they came back and there were actually some people who decided I'm comfortable living in Babylon. I'm not going back to that church stuff. I'm just, I done, I done got comfortable living in Babylon and they didn't want to come back. God help us to not ever get so comfortable with living in the place we are that we don't want to get up because it actually causes us to move. It isn't comfortable when the Holy Spirit convicts you. It's not easy to get up and move into the things of God. And it is way more comfortable to just be a good person out in the world and live in Babylon. They had synagogues that they talked about God with, but they didn't have a temple. They didn't have a place of sacrifice. They just had a place of gathering where they talked about God and read about the Bible, but they didn't have a place of sacrifice where they could repent and they could just experience God. I don't ever want to come to a place like that to where I close off my heart and just become comfortable just because people tell me I'm a good person that I think that's good enough to get to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. It's by the blood of Jesus. No other way to heaven except through Jesus and the blood that was shed on the cross. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Can I tell you that if we're all not stirred together, we won't be unified. We won't be unified if we're all not stirred together. It was Jesus's words before his ascension that stirred the 120 people to wait in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter two, verse one, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and one place. And then the Bible says, and then suddenly, we know what happens, the Holy Ghost came down. But how did they get that stirring? They remembered the promise. Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So it was that promise that Jesus spoke to them previous, before he ascended into heaven that said, take hold of what I'm telling you, go to Jerusalem and wait there. So that stirred them to wait on the promise of God. And they were blessed. They waited and the Holy Ghost came down and filled them with power. Peter and John had been persecuted by the religious leaders for preaching the truth later on in Acts. In Acts chapter four, verses 23 and 24, it says, and being let go, talking about Peter and John, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And they went on praying, reminding God. They were in turmoil. They were in persecution, but they were reminding God that he took care of his people before. Lord, you would do it again. Verse 29 says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love this part. It says, and when they had prayed, say this, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. 
Verse 32 says, now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. How do we get to this place of the Holy Spirit coming down and shaking this place? We've got to be stirred by the truth of the word of God. We have got to line ourselves up with what he says to do and how he says to live and how he says to be. And we've got to agree together. God cannot dwell in unclean temple. I understand that. And God can't dwell in discord either. In fact, Matthew 18 verses 19 to 20 says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. God, shake us. God, as we remember your goodness and what your word says, God, shake us to come together in unity, God, to believe and to stand on your word, God, and open our hearts to the, for the temple to be rebuilt in our hearts and have your way, God. Lord, have your way that this place would be shaken, that this place would be shaken, God. We need a shaking. We need a shaking in the house. But before we have a shaking in the house, we've got to have a stirring in the heart. Can't get the cart before the horse. It starts with here. When I get this right and I get in order with what God wants for me, Isaac Stanley Jr., myself, and I bring the truth of the word of God and we come together in a unified purpose, all one with God, that is when the power of God can fall. There's still, now we may not go to a temple and make sacrifices with animals. There was an order to that. But because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, there's still order that's got to be done in our life. We still have to make a sacrifice of praise unto God. We are a living sacrifice unto God. And when he shakes you, when he fills you, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you receive that gift, it is not for your enjoyment. It is for your employment. Yes, when the power of God falls upon us and we feel refreshed, when, when the Spirit of the Lord touches me and I dance or shout or run and speak in tongues, it's not just because I'm just being uncontrolled by some craziness. 100% of the time, something is said or something I heard or the Lord reminds me of his goodness and I think about his promise and it connects with the power of God and this temple becomes filled with the Holy Ghost and I've never touched a match fire and been quiet about it. When, you, when the fire of God comes down and consumes that sacrifice that is within you, you can't not run or shout. Well, I'm just telling you, we all worship different, but when you touch fire, we all scream. I don't know of anybody unless they got a dead finger that touches the fire and don't say nothing. God, help us to let the fire fill us. Let the fire cleanse us. Let the power of the Holy Spirit do what only he can do in us without reservation. If you believe that, give the Lord a clap of praise. In this rebuilding process, before the Israelites went into captivity, Isaiah prophesied about their return. He gave them the message of hope. 
letting them know that God would bring them back. And he gave them a picture of a God of new beginnings. Once again, this prophecy that I'm fixing to read is something that was spoken prior to this whole scenario. And they got a hold to this promise and they remembered it. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 19 says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God wasn't telling them to disregard how he moved in the past as irrelevant. Some would say, yeah, God moved powerfully in the past, but God's doing something different as if we are to disregard. We can't disregard it. And I used this analogy in the earlier service. We can't disregard how God moved in the past no more than we can disregard uh, Alexander Graham Bell's invention back in the 1800s of the telephone. Because if you disregard that, then you wouldn't have the high-tech cell phones that you use today. So the technology that we have today in the cell phones was built upon the foundation of the invention that Alexander Graham Bell created. And everything that God does now is upon the foundation of what he did in the past. And he isn't saying what, was, what happened before is irrelevant. He's saying, I'm gonna do greater than that. God was saying, look ahead, I'm gonna blow your mind. And we sometimes, because we don't feel what we felt, because we seem like we don't experience what we talk about we didn't experience, we just, we feel, we uh, assume that that's the most that God can do, but it's not. The New Living Translation says, but forget all of that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. God has greater things in store for us. Hallelujah. So they begin first with the altar in rebuilding the temple. They didn't start with the wall. They didn't start with the building. They started with the altar. Then the sacrifice and then the worship. There was a very significant meaning behind them building the altar first. Number one, God saves by a sacrificial offering. Every offering on that altar was a type and shadow of Jesus who would die for mankind's sins. The offerings also represented the worshiper dedicating himself to the Lord. There's something profound about this. We can't disregard the Old Testament as irrelevant anymore. In fact, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. He fulfilled the law. Now we have the law inside. So the law is not irrelevant. The law is inside of you now. We may not have uh, rituals. You may not have these tablets, but the tablets are in your heart. Solomon said in Proverbs, write the commandments on the tablets of your heart. That is where we are to keep. And if you were to go to the Ark of the Covenant and the Old Testament and take the lid off of it, you would find the Ten Commandment tablets in them. So now the the Ark or the altar, it's in here. The tablets of the commandments of God, the Holy Spirit writes on your heart to guide you. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable surface. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Chapter 6, verse 19 says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? The temple of God is in here now. What are we doing with the temple of God? What are we doing with what's inside of our hearts?
in studying the Old Testament, it is believed that while in captivity in Babylon, they began meeting at places called synagogues. They no longer had the temple. We know it was destroyed. Synagogues were places of meeting or gathering. And some Bible teachers believe that this concept or this way of gathering was established by the Babylonians and the Israelites just picked up on it and began meeting like them. So they would open the Torah or the, the books of the Bible and they would read aloud and they would just kind of converse with each other and conversate. So it was just a more or less a gathering and the reading of the word of God. And I started thinking about this and I said, how is this different from the temple? And I acknowledged that the synagogue was a, was an, a gathering event. But when you look at how the temple was orchestrated, it was a worship experience. It wasn't, it wasn't to say that gathering together and reading the word of God together is irrelevant because we do have to help each other and teach each other and sharpen each other. So there are times where we are to come together and fellowship and have fun and read and teach the word of God. That's extremely important, but that's not all it is. We have to experience God. We have to give place for God to do what we can't. We are to do everything we can but we got to leave room to do for God to do what we can't. Or we will never accomplish what he wants to do in this body if we don't give room for the Holy Spirit. In order. I'm not talking about confusion. I'm not talking about craziness. I'm talking about the God of order who does things in decency and order. But we've got to trust his spirit to move in this place. Because if we don't give the spirit of God room and place to work within us, we will never be any more than what we are and we will be no different than being in captivity and just getting a little bit of word of God, just coming in here, just having fun with friends and family of the Lord and then going home as the synagogue. I don't ever want my heart to become as a synagogue or this place be just a simply place of gathering and for fun. We've got to let the spirit of God move and do what he's got to do in this place in our hearts because we're facing a situation that is bigger than what man can fix in this world. We're facing a situation that we can't do anything about, but it takes God. The man of God came to encourage them in later time and he said, it's not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my spirit. We have got to let Lord Jesus We've got to let the Holy Spirit flow. We've got to give him room, give him power to do what he's got to do. But can I tell you something? We can't look at each other and say, well, so-and-so ain't moving. I'm not going to move. Well, so-and-so ain't letting God use him. I'm not going to move. So if we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, forget the building. I'm talking about in our heart. Get it right in here. I got to quit worrying about who ain't and who is. I got to worry about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. God, help me to tear down the high places that I have built up in my life of pride and unforgiveness and jealousy and envy and hate. All of those things that I've allowed to be built up and I have tore down the heart of God. I've tore down the, the temple, my own self, just like the children of Israel did. But God, help me to let the power of God come in my heart and stir me with conviction so that I can tear down the high places and rebuild the temple of God in my heart so that when I am in order in my heart, in my life, then the power of God can fill me. And then if we all come like that filled, then the place will be shaken. 
then the Spirit of God can move. It ain't the building that's the problem. It's our temples in here that is missing something. God help us, and I'm staying it with me first. Lord, God help that we would remember the promises of God and then become stirred by the Holy Spirit to rebuild the temple of our hearts and no longer come to this place we call church to just gather, to just only gather. Until we operate under the unction of the Holy Spirit, we won't have anything to attract people with because all we will have is a group of people that are nice to each other and they could get the same thing at Walmart because they're getting paid to be nice. If all we are is a group of nice people, it's no different than what the world, there are, not, there are nice people that are unsaved. I know some people that are not saved that are nicer than some people that I do that, that are saved. So if we don't give them what we can't give, if we don't express the power of God and if we don't let the power of God express himself through us in a way that we can't operate, but only he can, there will be nothing to attract the people outside of these four walls. Help us, God, to let our inhibitions down, to let our walls down and let the Spirit of God come in because there was order in the temple in the Old Testament. If they didn't do things the way God ordered them to do, if they didn't bring the sacrifice right, if the sacrifice wasn't pure, if they didn't uh, have the candles lit, if they didn't come the right way, the power of God couldn't fall. Maybe we've got it out of order. Maybe we have tried to reorchestrate. I know we don't do rituals, but it's in our heart. So I'm just thinking maybe we are bringing our sacrifice of praise to God in the wrong way. Maybe we are bringing strange fire to God and he's not accepting what we have to give and we don't even know it. There were two, there was, uh, Eli had two sons that were priests in the temple and they brought strange fire to God and they were living ungodly in the temple and God didn't let it happen. He actually killed them. That's how serious God is about how we present our sacrifice to him. Lord, help us to be stirred by your word to repent and get it right so that we can be shaken in our lives and bring the supernatural power of God. And then we can see signs and wonders, God, in this place. God, help us to see and to hear your spirit so that we can flow and you can do what only you can do through us, God. If you believe that, I want you to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. In the process of the people rebuilding the temple, they had many setbacks. The enemy was trying to use the people to stop what God was trying to do. In fact, at one point after only having built the altar and laying the foundation only, that's all they had done, because of fear and discouragement, because the king and the people around them was coming in saying, I'm gonna stop this, I don't want this to happen. They, were, they knew what the God of Israel had done to the ones that were against them and they didn't want it built back up. 
the enemy will always try to stop a true work of God. There will always be persecution. There will always be uh, a spirit of the enemy to try to stop what God is doing because the enemy knows that he can't control the spirit of God if it's flowing through a body of, through a body of believers. The enemy will always try to stop they were so discouraged that they stopped the construction process for 14 years. They stopped. Zerubbabel, being the leader, was just discouraged. That was until two men of God, led by the Holy Spirit, gave them a word from the Lord. Haggai came along in chapter 1, verse 14, and said, it says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Did you hear what it said? After they heard a word from God, the Bible says, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua and the remnant of his people was stirred. They needed a stirring to start the process back. They stopped in the middle of it and they became distressed. You know, the Bible says, don't, e don't be so easily beset by the sin and the weight of this world. And we can all be caught up in the cares of this world. And there's situations that we face, crisis and trauma, a lot of things. I know what it feels like to stop in the middle of what God wants you to do because you are so distraught and so disgusted and so downcast of what you've experienced and the enemy would have you to stay there and stop what God wants to continue in your life. But once again, the same way you were stirred to start this walk with the Lord is the same way that you have to be stirred to continue what God has called you to do. Somebody say, there is a stirring. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. That's why I said I can't get up here. We leaders, we can't get up here and just <clears throat> expect you to be moved upon by God by, by a, I could come up here and just encourage you, you're good. Uh, God's gonna bless you. But if I don't tell you what the word of God says, you won't be truly stirred to get up off your tail and do what God has called you to do. There are positions in this church that need filled. I don't know what it's gonna look like when we come back in full order. I don't know, I, I can't tell you but all I can tell you is there are places for each one of us as members to do something <clears throat> in this house. And we need to be stirred upon by the power of, I can, we can get up here as leaders and beg you till we're blue in the face that we need you to help with this <clears throat> or we need you to help with that. But until you are stirred by the power of God to get in the position that God has called you to be, you won't, you'll be in and out. God stir every one of us to stop coming to church just to feel good because of how bad we lived the week before. God help us <clears throat> to be stirred to repentance, to get serious with this walk and get connected so that we can do, we can't function unless we have the body fitting together. If you're the thumb to do what needs to be done, the hand can't work right. We need you. If you're the little toe, you're still important because you're gonna, we're gonna get off balance. Don't neglect the small beginnings. This God needs you in this body to do. What is it? What, what is on your heart that you can do for this church to glorify God and to further the kingdom? 
whatever it is, let pastor know. Because I'm sure there is a position, there is a place, there is something that you can do because there is a place for each one of us in the body of Christ to do what needs to be done. It can't be just two or three people doing everything. It's not healthy for the church. And I know that we have a heart of people that is ready to do whatever needs to be done, but it takes a stirring. I know myself, sometimes I get lazy and I don't wanna do certain things, but when the spirit of God reminds me that there's a work to be done and I get a stirring, I can't sit still and I can't say no. To the best of my ability, I'm gonna do everything I can because I got my, I'm trying by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep my temple in order so that the power of God can stay full inside of me. Zechariah chapter four, verse six, Zechariah came along and encouraged him and said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the man who was completely discouraged because everything was upside down and he didn't know how to encourage himself. Yes, leaders can get discouraged. It's, it's, a, it's not a sin, it's, not a nor, it's a normal thing. Leaders can get discouraged, it's, it happens. Zechariah said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. I understand that you've done everything in your power to get these people to do what needs to be done. I understand you've done everything you can to get this temple built. And you know that you can't do any more than what you're doing. But my brother, let me tell you what God said. It is not by might. It is not by power. But it is by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. No matter what we feel, we feel has been taken away from this body, no matter what we feel has been twisted or, or, or changed or, or moved around and what maybe feel like that we can't pull back together or we won't be able to rebuild. Yes, it can. If we become stirred by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will gain wisdom. We will then have wisdom to carry out the vision of the pastor, to do what God has called us to do, but it won't be by our own strength. Because if we continue to do what we think is right in our own strength, that's why we become weak, weary, tired. We wanna give up but we can only do what God has called us to do through his power. He said, it's not by your might, it is not by your power, but it is only by my spirit, says the Lord. Give him a hand clap of praise, he's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, that we would just remember the promises of God. Oh, Lord, that we would... Do what your word says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. God, I don't know what's going on in this world. I don't know if it's judgment. I don't know, I, I don't know, I'm not even gonna stand here to say that I can explain to you why we see what's happening. <clears throat> but can I tell you, it's time that the church wake up and arise from its sleep. Because I truly believe for too long we've been calling on those outside of these four walls to repentance and telling them you need to repent, you need to change. <clears throat> but I feel that, that, that we as the church need to be the ones to repent. 
we're the ones that need to ask God to come in and shake us and change us because I truly believe that if we as the body of Christ were rebuilt in our temple, in our hearts, and we we had the power of God flowing through us and that what we see in this world today wouldn't be happening because the church would be the ones leading this nation, which is God's order. I'm here to tell you this morning, God is gonna have his way no matter what. It took 70 years of captivity for them people to open their eyes up and wake up to what God was trying to do. And I pray to God in Jesus' name that it don't take that long for this nation, for the church to rise up. The church has got to start focusing on the church before we can start focusing on the world. The church has got to start saying, what does the word of God say? We, as the temple of the Holy Spirit in here, not talking about the building, I'm talking about the heart, the temple of God inside of us. We've got to say, God, show me what I've allowed to be built up so that I can tear down these high places because God is a jealous God. God can't dwell in no unclean temple. I know this is random for me to say, but I'm gonna just tell you how serious God is. How do you think my wife would feel if I brought another woman home to the house? We don't take sin serious enough. And I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about sinners out in the world that don't know this. I'm talking about us. God is a jealous God. He said, I will have no other gods before me. And until we understand how serious God is about keeping our temple in order and in clean, we will never see the revival that we're praying for. We will never see our prayers come to fruition the way we need them to. We will never see what we're asking for God to do until we, we rebuild the temple in our hearts in the order that God has called us to. This morning, as I told them this at the first service, these altars are open. Not one time has pastor told any of us leaders that these altars are closed. There's more than enough room for all of us who feel like it. If you wanna pray at your pew, that is, you are more than welcome to. But if you wanna come and kneel at these altars, you can do that as well. But it's time for us to focus. We gotta focus on our heart. Let's take some time to pray and evaluate and say, God, show me, God, what needs to be tore down and how to build it back up for you. Thank you, Lord, for what your word does for us, God. Even when I am chastised and I'm disciplined, God, because of the place and the position that it may not be in, that should be for you, God. You embrace me with love, God. You embrace me with love and you bring me back and you help me to rebuild what I have tore down so that you can do what you've got to do for me, God. Thank you for your grace and mercy.